So whatever context we're at, whether that is in Afghanistan or Alabama where our church is located, what does it look like to lead the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God? What does it mean to lead the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God? How do we mobilize entire churches, not just select individuals in the church, but entire churches for the mission of God? What he is accomplishing through his instrument, the church, for his glory. Let me tell you a little bit about what that looks like at Brook Hills. At Brook Hills, it means that we define everything we do and look at everything we give ourselves to from our time, our people, and our resources by one statement. And that statement is, we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. There's nothing holy about the language there. That's how we define and explain our vision, mission, and goal. We glorify God. That is our vision. Our mission By making disciples. Our goal, all nations. The pantata ethne, as scripture talks about it. Where we get our word ethnic. Ethnic peoples. All of the ethno-linguistic peoples of the earth. We believe that God will only appropriately be honored for the blood that was shed by his son on the cross. When peoples of all nations, all ethne, are gathered around the throne worshiping the Lamb. This is our passion. This is what we are about as the church. So what does it look like to define who we are as a church and our identity as the church, as a missional people? I don't want us to begin to think about how do we just tack on something called a missions culture over here on the side of the church. I think what you're going to get is a select group of individuals that are passionate about missions. But if you embed global mission in God's plan to reach the nations for his glory into the identity of the local church. Now we're talking about something different. We're talking about God's divine instrument, the church, to be released for his glory. So how does this practically work out? What does that look like? How do we work towards this end? Sounds great. What do you practically do to begin that if you are in church leadership, um, or if you're a member, or if you lead a church. What does that look like? And I want us to look at four things today. First, to be a church shaped by the Word of God. A church shaped by the Word of God. Now, I think all of us would say, yeah, yeah, we're a church shaped by the Word of God. The Bible is preached and proclaimed. But I think it's important to also step back in Scripture and look at God's redemptive plan throughout all of the ages. Ephesians chapter 1 says, before the foundation of the world, and then in, the, in chapter, in verse 11, it says, to sum up all things in Christ. What is God doing in the cosmic picture of redemptive history? And we need to get caught up in the story of redemptive history and what God is doing through his people since the beginning of time till consummation. And as we do that, identify where we are in that story. Not as just something we look back and say, oh, this, yeah, we see creation, fall, all of this, and think, oh, that's, that's nice that we understand it. Where are we located in that? Where is the church And that helps define our purpose as the people of God. See, Jesus Christ has come and he has inaugurated the kingdom with his coming. But yet he has not come in full power to judge the nations as he will. We serve a coming king as well. And we are people that live in the time in between the times. That is who we are as the church. And we have been tasked with this mission of making disciples to the ends of the earth. That is our responsibility in the church. So this is who we are. You see, the global purpose of God is ultimately not about us. It's not about you and me. But about God's glory among all nations. That's why at the Church of Brook Hills, we do not exist to provide the best performances and the best programs for our pleasure. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. I do not believe that this is our spin on Scripture nor our ministry niche. 
This is God's purpose for his people throughout all of redemptive history. From cover to cover, the Bible teaches that all the church, not just a select group of individuals, but all the church is created to reflect all of the glory of God to all of the world. This is who we are as the church. This is how we create a culture of missions in the local church, knowing our identity in Christ and our purpose as the church. Not something tacked on on the side, but something, something that is central to who we are as the church. Now, let me give you um, a background here. I, I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid. Okay? Uh, so, I'm an MKPK. And if you've known either, you know there's a lot of MKPKs that are pretty messed up out there. I've seen a lot of stuff in the church. I wouldn't have chosen the church to accomplish God's purpose and plan of redemption of all nations. That wouldn't have been my first choice. Have you seen a committee or a task force in the local church? But it's not my choice. It's not your choice. This is God's divinely ordained choice instrument. God's agent to accomplish his mission. And Christ is building his church and accomplishing his mission and his purpose to be glorified by all nations. Matthew 24.14 says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come. You see, something in the divine economy of God, God is using his church to accomplish his means of extending his glory to all nations. So we must be a church shaped by the word of God. A church shaped by the word of God. Second, we must be a church sharing in the work of God. A church sharing in the work of God. The church is God's idea. It's God's plan. And God desires to use his church to transform individuals, communities, and to all nations, all peoples. This is what he is doing to receive great glory from all nations. And Ephesians 3.10 also says that his manifold wisdom of God would be displayed to all the powers, all the spiritual authorities are receiving great, are seeing God's wisdom on display through the church. We must know who we are, church. We must know our identity in Christ. But the beautiful thing here is it is not dependent on you and on me to try really, really hard to accomplish this. No. We're an empowered people. Look at Acts 1.8 and throughout the whole story of the book of Acts. And what do you see? Is a people empowered with the Spirit of God to accomplish the mission of God. It is not the strength of the individual himself. It is the work of God's Spirit in man that is accomplishing his mission and pushing forward. All of the obstacles that you see throughout the book of Acts that come up, knocked down, busted through by the power of the Spirit at work in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. We are an empowered people. God is accomplishing his purposes through his church. So the next time you look around at your church... And think about that. Think about what God is desiring, what he is doing and desiring to do in and through that people. Not that building, not that program, not that place, but that people, that people that God has gathered, the people of God gathered in that place. So we have a church shaped by the word of God. A church sharing in the work of God. And a church serving the world. A church serving the world. Our vision must not, cannot be limited just to our community. In order to be biblically missional, we have to have a vision to all nations. From where God has placed us, to the ends of the earth, to all nations. This is the biblical record that we have. What God is doing through His instrument, the church. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Under His authority, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So we have one mission. We have one mission. So how do we serve the world? The way we think about this as one local church, the Church of Brook Hills, is we have one mission. To make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. How do we begin to wrap our heads around that mission? Think about the global scope of that. 
Wow. All people, 7 billion people now around the world. And our vision as a church is to make disciples of all nations. How do we go about doing and living out this one mission? I think there's one mission and we need to start thinking about two contexts. When we begin to look at scripture and turn and look at the world and think about how God sees the world and think missiologically about the world and how we engage the world, we need to ask one primary question. Is the church present or not? Because that determines how we go about the mission. If the church is present, then our role is to come alongside and strengthen and serve with the church. Oh, for far too long, we've gone and done our project, walking past four churches in that community to do our project and get back on the plane and pat ourselves on the back so we feel a little bit better about ourselves and we can check that box. And we go back and wonder why there aren't long-term results Why there isn't fruit and disciples formed and churches planted and strengthened and multiplying? Why is that? Because we've walked right past God's chosen instrument, the local church, to accomplish his mission in that community. Please, serve the church. Strengthen the local church. Come alongside your brothers and sisters around the world and learn with them how to come alongside them and engage that particular community. So where the church is, our role is to serve and strengthen the church. And where the church is not, our role is to see it birthed, to see the church established in that place. In context that I served in, like in, like in Central Asia, you have large cities and population segments and parts of the country and different countries where there is no church present or very little or few believers isolated and not gathered as the church. So how do we send out laborers to the harvest? How do we send out long-term church planting teams? for the sake of seeing healthy, multiplying churches birthed among each ethnos, each people, and them stepping up and embracing their role in that mission of sending and seeing all nations come to faith as well. We have to stop being short-sighted and think, yeah, I led somebody to faith in this unreached people group. My job's done. Oh, I've got a few believers gathered. My, my, My job is finished. No, we come alongside the church and we labor to see the church birthed, healthy, growing, multiplying, and embracing their role, our role, in seeing Christ's name honored and worshipped among all peoples, all nations, everywhere. So we must be a church shaped by the word of God, a church sharing in the work of God, and a church serving the world. I'm going to come up here and scribble um, on the, if I can with this leash I've got on me, um, up here on the blackboard for a minute. And, I, you know, this is the way we think about it in our context. Take what is useful and helpful for your context and discard what is not. So as we begin to think about how we do this at the, as a local church, we see one mission, two contexts, and three sending avenues. And if you think about it, even, even if you look at Paul and Barnabas' experience in the book of Acts, and you think about your own experience or the experience of a long-term missionary, I think it will often parallel this as well. So we have something we call the sending funnel. Okay, Anybody change their oil in their car before? All right. Everybody knows what a funnel looks like, right? So we've got a funnel here. This here is the church of Brook Hills, right? So we've got the people of Brook Hills, our church. This is our pitcher of water, and I'm not a good artist. So we're seeking to pour out our people in this sending funnel. And we see three primary avenues that that flow in this. Short-term mission. Mid-term mission, long-term mission, and church planting teams. Okay? More greater opportunities up here to go, and more cross-cultural, biblical, theological training necessary as you get deeper and deeper into this funnel. Okay? Not everybody's walking all the way through this funnel. We want to maximize who God has created each one of us to be for the sake of making disciples of all nations. You see, we've all been called to Christ and we've all been commanded to make disciples of all nations. 
That's not a subjective call issue. A calling is a specific way that each one of us live out that command. So, as a teacher, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a preacher, as a missionary, how do we live out this calling and command to make disciples of all nations wherever God has presently located us? And be open to what God may be doing to call us out to specifically live out that command in a particular context around the world. So short term for, for us is um, usually somewhere around two weeks. And we talk about and challenge people to spend 2% of their year, roughly a week, 2% of the year, with the idea that that will transform the other 98% of their time in the context that they live in every day. So go and be exposed to what this looks like so that it transforms the way we live right here in this context. We set as a goal in our faith family to see 20% of um, our membership going each year. Going each year. That translates for us to somewhere around 60 trips, 60 to 80 trips um, in, a, in a given year. We uh, Midterm for us is anything from two months to two years. Midterm, you're kind of like, what, what's that? We want to see the Mormonization of the church. Now, let me explain. I mean, that it would become normal that people would grow up in the church and give not just short term, but extended periods of time serving the nations. That that would become normal. That people would spend a summer, a semester, a year, a couple of years through strategic points in life, whether that's a gap year, whether that's in college, whether that's in mid-career, early retirement. We have people in all of these demographics going and spending. And many of them are wrestling through, is God leading me to plant my life out among the nations long term? Great. It'd be great for you to go and spend a more extended period of time seeing how God shapes that and guides you through some practical field experience. We get a lot of people at Brook Hills that they go on a short-term mission trip and they, they want the next ticket out and they, wanna, they want to spend the rest of their lives out in India or wherever it may be. And we begin to help shepherd people even before they go on a short-term mission trip and say, yeah, are you a member of this faith family? Are you dating the church? Or have you committed to the body of Christ? Are you sharing the gospel in this context? Are you making disciples here? Are you serving your community and the nations through your small group? And then as people go and serve short term, we want to challenge them to, to have they been trained to think about what cross-cultural ministry looks like? How do they step deeper into engaging internationals in their own city? where they're located, as a training press. We don't see the church um, as isolated from a curriculum. If you look at Acts 13 carefully, what was the context in which Paul and Barnabas were called out of the church of Antioch? I gave it to you in the question. It was in the context of serving in the church of Antioch. As they labored together, both as elder pastor leaders, of two of the five, God called them out and the church prayed and set them aside and confirmed that calling and sent them out. That we see as a biblical pattern. So what is our training curriculum? We do have resources that we use, but our primary training curriculum is the local church. Serving in and through the local church and serving the community around us through the local church. That's the primary means to raise up and for the church to have the role to confirm calling in people's lives as they go out and serve among the nations. So this is midterm, and I brought our director of midterm, just so you see this is actually a real thing. This is, this is Paul here, so if any of you guys would like to talk to him later, a little bit more about what midterm looks like. And then long-term, sending people out from our faith family to serve long-term. To, it, it, it takes long-term, especially in places where the church is not, to see the church birthed, gathered, healthy, multiplying, and reproducing all nations. That's not something we can accomplish on a two-week trip. You know, how do you make disciples on a short-term trip? That's a really good question. That's one we ought to be asking. What we've come to realize, and I, I believe this is grounded in Scripture, 
as well is that we are only about disciple-making and short-term missions as long as we are serving long-term field partners or the church global. And in as much as we come alongside field teams or local churches, then we are a part of disciple-making, even if we're there a week. Because we're helping push forward and serve that local instrument, the church, to accomplish the mission. So, we primarily serve and strengthen the local church through sending short-term teams to serve long-term field partners. Okay? Now, partnership's messy. We don't have time to dig into all of that. It takes relationship and trust. And then it takes talking through things like theological and missiological alignment issues for the purpose with which you're partnering. So, that's a whole other session in itself. But we have to have partners in this. We have to partner alongside the church to accomplish this. Where the church is not, we need to send out in teams. The age of the Lone Ranger missionary is coming to an end. And thankfully, we see people that are seeing a biblical pattern in Scripture um, of going and serving biblical mission in biblical community. I think it's also practical and sustainable to think about engaging in a place where the church is not only with a team of others to help hold us up as we do that. So sending long-term church planting teams to engage unreached people groups, sending short-term teams uh, to serve alongside churches and field partners, and midterm is the connector and the training to get from one to the next. And so that's really the sending funnel in the way we look at that um, at the Church of Brook Hills. So we're seeking to pour uh, our people out. But we began to realize, and one of the men that serves on our team, he and his wife spent 25 years in Japan planting churches and laboring among the Japanese church. And he said, Jonathan, I think this is great and everything, but, you know, a funnel, if you try to stand it up on that little skinny part, what happens to it? It falls over, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And if we're trying to do this and set it up like that, it's going to keep falling over. He said, you know, what if we really thought and thought about what the church looks like? And think about the whole church, not just the people that we're sending, but the whole church coming along and not just financially supporting, but partnering with those that we're sending out. And here is what I think we see is the church coming around, going, praying, supporting, partnering, laboring, using all of what God has gifted and equipped them to be for the sake of his, ma- his mission among all nations. So a church shaped by the word of God, a church sharing in the work of God, a church serving the world, and a church sacrificing for the glory of God. A church sacrificing for the glory of God. You know, if your motivation is humanism or humanitarian, when you have to medical evac your year and a half old daughter out of the country, your love of the people will not sustain you. They're not that lovable and you're not that good. This missionary identity we often get caught up in here in the church where we're placed up on a pedestal, that will not sustain you. Results What happens if you go and serve and don't see those results? That will not sustain you in the face of adversity. The only proper motivation for planting your life among the nations is for the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. For the sake of the lamb that was slain to form a people for himself from every language, tribe, nation, and tongue. For the glory of God. That is the only motivation that will sustain us in this journey, that will push us forward catalytically in what God has called us to do as the church. Not for any of these other things, but only for the sake of his name. You know, the first time I saw these things lived out in a local church, 
was not at the megachurch that I serve at now. When we first moved out to Central Asia, we had incredible privilege of bumping into something that God was already doing. Nothing that we can take credit for. But coming alongside a movement among the deaf in one particular Central Asian republic. There were few, if any, known believers among this people. Mm -hmm. People from outside came in and shared. They shared that they were not cursed because of their sin, and that's why they were deaf. But that God loves them and sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay to live the life we couldn't live and pay the price that we could not pay. And this transformed this group of people. And they began to gather and they began to say, you know, there's other people, there's other deaf here who have not heard. (laughs) The deaf who have not heard saving grace through Jesus Christ. And they began to share with others. And in their city, they went and sought out every other deaf person that they could find and shared this good news with them. And about half believed. In this closed, restricted access country, they had complete freedom to share via sign. Right in front of the secret police. No repercussions, initially. Isn't that like God? What He does? And this spread. And when we came alongside this, we, we found 35 churches across this country. And when we had the opportunity to move on to another country in Central Asia, when we left the country, this network of churches was sending their first cross-cultural missionary out to work among a radical Muslim people group in a neighboring country. We think and we depend on our resources. We think because we have lots of people or lots of money, God can do great things with us. But it is the power of God at work within the people of God. It is a church, a people shaped by the word of God. A church sharing in the work of God. A church serving the world. And a church sacrificing for the glory of God. You see, these truths work in Afghanistan and in Alabama. See, ultimately, the truth is seen fulfilled in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, which says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, this is the ultimate, final, all-consuming, glorious, guaranteed, global purpose of God in all of Scripture. God blesses His people. He pours out His blessing upon us with great grace so that His glory may be made known among all nations. Now this, for the sake of Christ, is worth sacrificing and spending our lives for. Our lives individually and our churches for the sake of His great glory among all nations. May that be the legacy that we leave. Thank you. I wanted to take a moment and and, um, transfer in our time, transition over to a time of uh, question and answer. I wanted to try to leave plenty of time for dialogue and interaction because this isn't um, uh, practice, methodology, go, take, um, export, import. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's a lot messier than that. I think what we want to do is get at biblical principles. And if they're biblical principles... They're transferable to all contexts and all cultures. God's truth is true here and it's true there. So what questions do you have? What, what um, has this sparked or what thoughts do you have that we can dig into more directly? And I'll repeat your question so that it's, it's heard. How does work out in your church program? You call, uh, your, your messages each week, uh, the uh, Bible studies that you have, uh, the youth programs, how, how does this work out? Yeah, it, it, it uh, really changes, and that takes time. It's a time of change, and I, I believe, and that's why um, I started with 
with um, the Word of God, a church shaped by the Word of God. I think if we allow the Word of God to do its work, it can transform us from a people that is concerned about our preferences and our programs and our, our pleasure to a people on mission with God. But I, I can't do that. You can't do that. Just force that to happen. It's the Word of God at work in our lives through the guidance of the Holy Spirit that that begins to happen. So it, it changes the way we go about everything that we do when we think about youth ministry and missional approach to student ministry, a missional approach to the way we go about um, uh, children's ministry, and a missional approach to the family. And so it has implications that are far-reaching um, in everything that we do. And it means sacrifice. It means sacrificing some things that aren't in and of themselves necessarily bad things. But it means prioritizing things and prioritizing our resources and prioritizing our time, prioritizing our programming and all of these things and putting that under and in submission to the mission that we've been given to Christ. And so I I think key to your question is that has to be something that cannot be uh, directed from the side, but a journey that you take leadership and you take the church on. Um, I don't want to be prescriptive either about what that has to look like um, from our context to your context to another context. But it has definite implications. Um, When we began this journey, everyone told us all your people will leave and all your money will go away. We've seen the opposite effect. Now, I think we'd be faithful to Scripture and let God deal with the results of that and not work that reverse engineer it. But that's not necessarily true that when you begin to put the mission of God as central to who we are as the people of God, that everybody will just leave. Okay? Other questions? Yes, ma'am. You're talking about the sending funnel and uh, the first biggest part was the short-term missions, which is about two weeks. And you said that discipling... The whole point for missions is discipling, um, but that it's difficult to do if you're there for two weeks, especially if it's a medical team. Um, it, it, I'm just curious how um, a short-term medical team can disciple Right, I I think that's why it has to be, and the emphasis of the local partner is such key to the way we go about short-term mission. We don't just go do something here, go do something there. That's Christian tourism, let's be honest. Hey, I think I'd like to go to Nepal this year. What about South Africa next year? You know, that's, that's Christian tourism. So it's a different thing to come alongside and serve a partner, a local church in many contexts, that has the ability to follow up and continue to work with those that we are doing a medical clinic with or alongside. So it shifts it from what do we get to go do, where can we go do what we want to do, to who do we serve, and what are the needs that they are asking for. So it's a, it's a major shift in paradigm and thinking about short-term mission. We always think, well, I, I like to do this, and so I want to go, where can I go do that? Versus who are we partnering with and how can we serve them and serve what God is doing to see disciples formed and churches planted there among them. Other questions? Yes, in the back. Yeah, let me, let me divide those up for a second. Um, good, good question. Um, and remind me to make sure I get to your second question as well. So let me start with the first question. What is that looking like locally was the essence of, of what, that, what that is. We, we believe that um, often we have this false dichotomy between uh, local mission and global mission. And I, I, that's a false dichotomy. In as much as we are serving locally, that should fuel serving globally. And when we're serving globally, that should fuel serving locally. It's not here or there. It's not an either or. It's a both and. 
We do both. And so we serve locally with a vision towards the nations. We serve the nations and serve our local communities. So um, one of the ways practical, and I'll jump into your second question now, um, often what we see and what we hope to see more of as we get deeper and deeper into partnership, if these funnels start um, in Clarkston, New York City, Detroit, Seattle, all kinds of places where you find where we have long-term church planting teams serving. And they help guide what this cross-cultural preparation and training looks like. So um, this is a, we're working hard to make this an integrated process and not a silo effect to where you begin training to be a long-term church planter when you go on your first short-term mission trip. That these aren't isolated things. That this flows naturally into, into one another. And so that's, that's the challenge, and that's what we're working towards, seeing happening more and more. To where we're engaging locally, we're engaging cross-culturally in our own country, and that training to go out and serve uh, among uh, restricted access, closed context, starts here in North America or in London and Paris. And we're engaging, and that's getting deeper as people are going through this funnel. Um, they're also, by the time they're going out here, they're not going like, oh, I guess I better learn a little bit about language and culture. No, that's been happening from the top, from the beginning of this to the bottom. So, other questions? Yes. Yeah, I, I, the simple answer is all of the above. Um, that's the, the simple answer. Um, we walked through a process in 2010 of looking at our budget. So this was one avenue. Looking at our budget and asking the question of the budget um, line item. Is it better to spend the money in this line item or to sacrifice the money in this line item for the sake of the lost, the poor, in the global church in another context. Now, that meant we radically contracted our budget overnight. And um, that was a very healthy thing. It was a one-year experiment. We knew it was something that we'd have to come back. We cut all contingency, cut a ton of maintenance. We cut all kinds of things, but contracted way down our budget um, and then spent everything over above that on, on mission. Um, there's only so much you can contract. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to, to go about it. And I think a necessary way to ask, is this necessary or not necessary? Um, do we really need to do this? Or is there a better way to do this that doesn't require the resources? You know, if we cut something silly, coffee. You know what cutting coffee in our budget looked like? $8,000. Do you know what we're able to do with that when people go and buy their own coffee? Or give their latte money to our global missions offering, which is another category that we have. We challenge people to to sacrificially give over and above their giving to the regular budget of the church. Now, we want the regular budget of the church to reflect our priorities as well. So that's why we had to trim and carefully walk through that process with church leaders. But also, um, how do we give sacrificially over and above that um, for the sake of going to all nations and supporting what God is doing around the world? And so we have a, a global offering that we take, and there's two ways to give. Some people choose to give weekly to that, and then we have a big push in the month of December where we bring that front and center and share the, the life stories of lives transformed um, through that sacrificial giving. You know, people can sacrifice for a time, but they, they, it can't just be cutting. They need to be cutting in order to give to something. And when they can see what their money and their resources are going to and the lives that are being impacted and transformed, they will continue to be encouraged to give to greater amounts. So um, global offering, regular budget giving are, are, um, are both ways that we do that and cutting and making sure our regular budget isn't excessive um, in certain, certain areas. Other questions? 
I think, I think in as much as God has given us responsibility and influence to lead, we lead from the word and we expose people to the world. They need to see the word lived out on the people of God in the world. And that combination is a powerful combination in the life of any church and in the life of any believer. And so, um, you know, we over and above this, all the sacrificial giving and cutting in our budget uh, in 2010, people raised over $650,000 to go on mission trips. We don't pay people to go on mission trips. They raise their support to go on mission trips. And so, the, I, you know, I, I firmly believe, and I think that's part of a faith journey, is challenging people and, and letting them see how God provides. And so they can share stories like the one you just shared. And as we share those stories to others in the faith family, they're, they're going to be attracted to what God is doing. You see, throughout the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas going out, Paul going out, and they cycle back to Antioch. And at one particular point, they, they share the, what they call the mighty works of God and what he did. And it says the church gave great glory to God. And I think we have to do that well. We have to come back and share the mighty stories of what God is doing. And that will continue to raise up and work in people's lives and call them out to participate in God's mission. And we have to lead by doing. Often we think that we want to try to convince everybody of something. And you know what? We're going to spend the rest of our lives just trying to convince somebody of this. Step out and lead by doing it. You know, when we arrived in one country in Central Asia, we chose to work and do something in a way to gain access there, so starting a business and all of this in a way that hadn't been done before. And, you know, everybody's like, no, that's not a good idea, this and that. You know, we got permission from leadership to try it. Two years in, everybody was coming and saying, hey, hey, help us think about how we do this here. We didn't wait for everybody to, so we could take a vote and everybody to think this is a great idea. We got permission from leadership, so we submitted to the leadership that God had placed, the spiritual leadership that God had placed over us. And then we stepped out and led by example. And if it is God's work, then he'll accomplish it. And that will be evident to others, and we won't have to just stand on the soapbox and try to convince someone of something. Yes, sir. Um, I'm sure you do. Could you tell us how, um, on your, all your trips that you do, that you have the people not bring their American culture to a culture in another world? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a, a process. Um, a big part of that is backing up training. <laughs> Way back here. So a big part of that process is it usually takes a six to nine month window to begin to work towards a short-term mission trip. 
And even more if you talk about training up the leaders. So I don't lead. I don't have, we don't as a staff, it's not, we can't keep up with that. So we train and equip short-term team leaders in our faith family to serve. And they usually walk through six to eight weeks of training with that particular team. That includes cross-cultural training, spiritual training, ministry training, logistics training on all of that. And we work with field partners in that process. And so the field partner is helping drive some of that and saying, look, in this context, please don't do this. In this context, be careful with this. If you're going to come, come this way. And we're not afraid of telling people no, and they're not ready. And there's some great examples of that um, where, you know, I want to go on a short-term mission trip. Well, I'll give you one example. Let me back it up. A young lady came to me. She was a nurse practitioner and said, I want to go spend the rest of my life as a missionary nurse. Great. Are you a member of our faith family? Uh, no, I was just kind of visiting. and yeah. I think that'd be a great place to start. Let's walk you through our four-week membership process. Mm-hmm. Hey, she comes back. Hey, I, I want to go. I wanna, I'm ready to go. Are you serving in a small group in this community? Are you sharing the gospel here, making disciples here in your own culture and context? Are you living it out right here? Um, not really. Um, okay, let's start there. And then cross-cultural training, going on short-term mission trip. It, it was a little over a year process, and she's about to go out and spend a year, now midterm, a year um, serving as a nurse among an unreached people group in the Horn of Africa. So an exciting process. As we walk, these give us pastoral opportunities to guide people through that process. And so it's not a, hey, here's a ticket, you got your passport, visa, um, go for it. You've got to back that way up, and it's got to be dependent on good leadership and good training of those that are leading uh, those teams, and doing that in conjunction with good field partners, long-term field partners. They guide that. You know, I served among Muslims in Central Asia. I know a little bit about that. I don't know about Tibetan Buddhists. I could read a book or two. But that field team that we partner with is the best to guide that cultural process that that team needs to go through to be prepared to do what they're going to do in the field. So, Where do you get that? Yes, sir. What's that? Where do you get You have the drink. Where do you get it? Yeah, you know, we mine every every place we can, <laughs> and um, and and we um, develop a good bit of it. A lot of it is also coming from the field, and so we cobble this together in a variety of different places. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all either, and so the type of training to go and serve in one context, let's, let's say going and serving in um, a group of high schoolers going and serving in New York City, that looks really different than um, a handful of people going to do member care, missionary care among a church planting team in a closed context country. So those, the, the gap is huge. So we can't think, hey, I've got this curriculum that I'm going to publish that's going to fit all of those. Um, so that's why also even more need to connect with long-term field partners on the ground and walk through that. There's some good resources out there, um, and there's some good organizations to partner with. But you don't want to just look at the institutional partner. We often sit here and we think, oh, what, what organization am I going to work with? And we need to look beyond that to what field partner am I going to work with. And we do need organizations to partner with. Um, you know, if there's a problem, who's, who's going to um, call the U.S. Embassy? What's a contingency plan? We do need organizational partners. So I'm not advocating the church-only route. But I'm saying we do not abdicate our role as the church and outsource that to the missionary organization. We're active partners in the mission of seeing the gospel go to all nations. I think we have time for maybe one more question. Yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned a term a while ago, Christian tourism. Yes. And I fear that's where my church is, actually. Hmm. Hmm. Was your church ever at that point? Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> there you go. Maturing process did you have to go through to move the group, the congregation, whoever, to the point of being relational and long-term, truly disciple-making with a, a partner rather than just scattershot? Yeah, you know, I, I think you have to strategically and not as an individual, but as a group of leaders, define um, what your priorities are. 
and how you're going to work and who you're going to work with and let that guide that process so that you've got, it's not just my idea against your idea. Hey, you want to go here? I want to go here. No, what, as a church, what are we called to do and who are we called to partner with? And so that really helped us streamline. You know, we were, we were doing about twice as many people going on short-term trips than we currently are. And we've scaled that back to good, strong field partners and now are slowly and sustainably growing that back out to greater numbers based on serving those partners. So um, I, I think it's, it does take a process of, of uh, looking carefully at all of this and looking at those field partners, saying, who is God calling us to walk alongside and walk with? And let's put our resources and our people and our time there instead of just accommodating what everyone wants to do. You know, I say, if God's called you to do it, go do it. Go do it. But he's calling us as a church and church leaders to work in this way. So if you'd like to join us, come on. So I don't think we have to, we have to say, no, you can't go do, go, go do that. But as a church, we're corporately going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's not a decision of one autocratic person nor is it uh, putting together a team of uh, lobbyists for their particular interest. <laughs> it's actually church leaders rolling up their sleeves and saying, what is it that God's called us to do? And how do we step forward with a plan and work in that way? Very good question. Very good question. The problem that I dealt with, and actually, they call them pious vacations, my church. Hmm. But in the interest of God's thing, Lynn and I went to Nicaragua last uh, January on our own with GHO, wonderful way to go. And part of their wisdom is that they get, said, we want a list of, of people to email back. And uh, our church, the church administrator said, well, I'm going to see what's going on, so send me that. Well, as soon as she's seen the first one, she blasted it out to everybody in the church. And for that week, I got sick. All kinds of things happened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. And when we came back, there was a change in attitude. That's where we are making progress. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. suddenly realize our vacation wasn't so cool. Right. And I, I say take leaders along the journey with you. Don't just go do your own thing. Take the church leaders God has entrusted to that church um, along with you in this process. Thank you for being here. appreciate your time.